Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Ski Instructor Podcast. My name is Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snowproof Ski School based here in the Port de Soleil in Switzerland. Hope you're all well. Um, the ski season has just about calmed down for us. Uh, March is looking like a pretty chilled out month. Um, we had a really long period of uh, extremely hot weather, which means that a lot of our clients have kind of thought more or less that there's no snow left, but actually it snowed a lot in uh, the end of Jan, uh, early part of February. I remember consecutive days where I'm just shoveling snow to try and get out of my house. And uh, and so as such, there's a lot left. And um, in fact, I went up last night about four o'clock with my daughter to go and ski in La Crozet. Um, I pick her up for a question. We go and uh, we ski a few laps um, before before the lifts close, and uh, and the snow was actually amazing. It was like the morning; hardly anyone skied on it, and it was in really really good condition. So, uh, um, <clears throat> some good end of season uh, skiing to be had here in the Port du Soleil. This week, I bring you an interview um, with Federico Cellini of Sub Zero Coaching in Zermatt. Um, Fede runs uh, a business there, sort of uh, dealing with instructor training and uh, and performance coaching. Um, he's also on the education committee for the Irish Association of Ski Instructors. Um, he's originally, as you might tell from the name, Italian. So uh, um, I wanted to interview. I, I first met Fede on um, a while back on a Swiss Snow Sports Directors course, and I, and I wanted to interview him for some time because I think he gives a an interesting perspective on on skiing and uh, and sort of physical training, um, and uh, and it's come out as a, as a, as a very very good uh, interview. Um, so in part one, we talk about uh, his background and formation um, in skiing, and uh, and then we go on to quite a long chat about uh, a comparison of national systems and why national systems develop like they do. Um, the person that I whose name I forgot in the first part of this interview is, is of course, um, Fabrizio Pervan, who runs Evolution Ski School in Zermatt. Hi, Fabrizio, hope you're well. Um, I also met him on the uh, on the director's course as well. Lovely, lovely guy. And you should check out both of these people if you're, uh, if you're skiing in Zermatt. So enjoy uh, this first half, and uh, I'll catch up with you in the middle. Federico Cellini, welcome Hello. to the Ski Instructor Podcast. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me here. Thank you very much. It's nice to uh, finally be able to uh, chat a bit. Yeah, likewise. It's been a long time. We met on the uh, Swiss Snow Sports Ski School Director's Course. Must be, oh, it was a long time ago now, that course. And, uh, and um yeah, we had very, very pleasant, I think it was two days, maybe three, not sure, um, going through all of the various bits and pieces you have to do to to be qualified to be a ski school director here in Switzerland, and uh, yeah, and, and it was, oh yeah, good day, good, good course actually, and I saw on the glacier in Zermatt in November, I think it was, um, who was the other Italian guy you were with, I can't remember his name, uh, it's just escaped me. Um, uh, there are a couple that I ski with. Uh, yeah, oh, he runs. He runs a ski school there. Oh no, 
I'm gonna have to do some clever editing to get 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 his. <laughs> anyway, caught up with him on the glacier. He was on that course as well, and um, yeah, it was lovely, uh, lovely to kind of uh, to to meet up with him as well. So, how's things in Zermatt? How's it going? Your your season so far? Oh, it went. Yeah, things are going fine. We had a few days where, obviously, we got uh, dumped on with snow, which was always always good news. Mm. Um, it came all at once. And because of the shape of the, the mountains around the village and especially around the, the valley, we actually got snowed in again. Uh, we didn't make, we did make, I think we made national, or at least on some uh, websites <laughs> we made news, but yeah. um, you know, we had uh, 24 hours, maybe 36, where neither the railway coming to Zerman nor the road was, uh, were open. So we had to juggle a bit uh, the the reserves in the supermarkets and so on. Yeah. But um, uh, but actually this time around skiing because yeah this time around I mean four years ago uh, the story that I'm referring to is four years ago we actually got snowed in properly to the point that um, we couldn't go in or out for two and a half days I believe yeah. and we couldn't ski either because. We had uh, rain before the snow, and so the pack was very unstable. Yeah. This time around, the pack was more stable, even though we reached level four, um, sorry, level five uh, danger, uh, you know, avalanche um, and yeah. danger. So we couldn't really go off piste or, or, or access the higher parts of the mountain, but uh, overall, uh, skiing was possible. And now everything is going back to normality. Today, I think, is the first. Yesterday, yesterday was sunny, and so, um, no, was it? Today is, no. Uh, Sunday was sunny, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we met have a good day out. Yesterday, actually, the weather came in, and uh, we had some issues. <laughs> and then <laughs> today, today, still clouds going around, but at least, at least as, as far as I'm aware, <laughs> everything is going back to normality. Well, that's good. I, yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, the, yeah, uh, I remember that that thing of four years ago. It was it was particularly weak, um, you know, weak snow plaque, and Zermatt was cut off for a number of days. And it, yeah, it did make big news, didn't it? But uh, it, I, I guess it's a question of avalanches coming down and blocking the uh, the shuttle railway railway that goes goes through. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Coming from the experience we had resort had four years ago, um, I think this this time people kind of ex- or at least locals kind of expected mm-hmm. uh, it. We were better prepared uh, overall. Mm-hmm. Um, there was nothing we could do on the episode five, uh, four years ago. Um, the road that goes between here between Zermatt and this, which is the first big town at the end of the full valley, has up to. Uh, 200 points where either a landslide or an avalanche can hit. So it is sketch a best of times <laughs> when the weather doesn't collaborate. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. Okay. Now, how did you, uh, so so what we always do with a podcast, and I, I, I think a lot of podcasts follow this same format, but we, I, I'd love to get to know a little bit more about your background um because you're italian i think Mm -hmm. i'm not sure exactly where you're in i'm going to hazard a guess but i think is it is it ah you're 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 not from the mountainous region originally are you is that right to say yeah yeah it's correct i am from the second mountain range of 
the of the peninsula of Italy. So you have the Alps in the north, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, which are the most known, and then from uh, the Liguria region, dropping down all the way to Sicily, you have the Apennines, mm-hmm. or Apennini, um, which peak uh, in the middle of the boot, in the middle of Italy, at 3,000-something meters. Okay. But my region, I'm from Bologna, is my home city, and my mountains reach 2,000 meters, so they're, they're more big hills rather than especially when you compare them to the mountains here in Zen. <laughs> well, you know, 2,000 yeah. metres is pretty much near the top of the Port de Soleil, so uh, there's pretty big mountains as far as we're concerned here. But, uh, yeah, okay. Oh, that's cool. And and what then drew you, I don't know, did you start skiing there? Was that what was, how, how did you get into skiing originally? Or, or? I, I started skiing with my family uh, for ski, with, with ski holidays, uh, standard procedure for many, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and not in my region, because my parents were really adamant that uh, the mountains on my region weren't that attractive, and for within a two-hour drive, you can be in the Alps. So yeah. we actually, yeah, we actually skied a lot in uh, Madonna di Campiglio, in the Dolomites. Okay. Which is where I've done, uh, um, years-wise, the, the most part of my childhood skiing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Um, and then we moved for a few uh, long um, ski trips and uh, ski experiences, if you want to call it like that, with ski clubs and so on, in the, um, in Ortizei and Selva di Valgardena, where they run the World Cup race. Okay. And then at 18, <clears throat> went to uni, which went fine for the exams that I was able to take, <laughs> but motivation yeah. wasn't really high. Okay. Uh, I was on a course... Well, it wasn't even the course. It was the fa- how the the university course are some are um, run in Italy, where you don't have compulsory presence at the lectures nor the exams. So that wasn't that really didn't work out well for me. Okay. Um, so at that point, I needed a break, and um, luckily for me, my family wasn't too too against it, and so um, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll take a couple of months off from uni and I'll go do at least the first couple of months of a season and get my level one and level two okay. um, and that was in 2006 is this yeah, level level one and two in which particular instructor system um, at the time I actually went for Basie okay. uh, because in Italy I don't know if um, I don't know if you know uh, how the Italian system works, but it is actually quite a big commitment. Yeah. That didn't really match with what my timeline was. I was not going to convince my parents to take a year and a half off in order to pursue, in one go, yeah. in order to pursue the ski instructor thing. And yeah. so two months were more reasonable. Okay. So I went for, uh, yeah, uh, level one and two in Verbien, actually. All right, okay. So that's where my Swiss adventure started from. Fantastic, and and then where did that take you after that? I mean, did you did you? Because I, I suppose we'll come across this, uh, come more into this later. But but you're much. You've also got an element to, to, to kind of what it is that you do. You're much more into kind of um, physio, how the body works, that kind of stuff. In addition yeah. to the skiing, so it was was. Did you then head back to university, or what was what was your journey after after the initial instructor training there? Yeah. 
Uh, in my first season then, in uh, when February came around and I passed the level two, I got a job offer straight away. Mm-hmm. I stayed for the rest of the season. So it turned out to be a five months rather than a two months break. Right, that's all right. Uh, actually turned out right yeah but uh you always want you always need to take a gamble so well (laughs) you never know this is what this is what life teaches you i think and and you know you never know you set out on a course and you never know where you're going to end up do you or where certain things are going to take you you can try and predict it but it never ends up like that you know i'm looking now at right in front of me um i've now got my office back so i was sharing an office with Mrs. Burroughs downstairs while my mother-in-law was here for a bit. But now I've got my office back and all of this kind of stuff is in front of me. So if you could see the wall of my office, it's kind of just covered in paper and plans and plotting and all sorts of bits and pieces. And, um, you know, I'm looking at the list of ski instructors that I thought I would have at the start of this season and it bears no relation at all to the people that I've now got working this season. You know, it always changes, and it changes all the time. And you can try and predict as much as you want, but it just never works out like that. It's really strange. Mm. Well, it's not strange, I suppose. You just get used to it, don't you? (laughs) Okay, so, so yeah, so five months in Verbier, and then then what? So I finished my season. Yeah, I finished my season, and then I went back home. Um, And I tried... Well, I went back to uni, and parallel to that, I started taking my personal trainer qualification mm-hmm. and um, I was lucky enough to come from a city in Bologna where we have a big sports scene uh, and you can appreciate at least I did appreciate that way later mm-hmm. um, and you know coming from a place you sometimes you get you lose sight of what you have and what you don't anyway mm. um, I ended up working straight away with um, um, a professor called Romano Franchi, used to be who used to be um, head coach for uh, different professional teams and professional athletes. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to catch him when he retired from traveling around Italy and Europe with teams. And uh, he was retiring from that job, but still involved in um, training professional athletes. So my adventure with uh, strength and conditioning coaching, which is what I then qualified as uh, later on uh, mm. the year after, um, started parallel to the skiing, uh, ski instructor uh, job. So from then, we uh, worked together for three summers, and I got exposed to uh, professional athlete training. So we had um, teams, basketball team, Bologna has two Premier League, uh, the, yeah, the the what you would call Premier League um, basketball teams, uh-huh. and we're volleyball a little bit. Um, we trained um, the national uh, American football team, well, the team of, of Bologna that is in Premier League again. Wow! And um, and then we had quite a series, quite an interesting series of uh, professional athletes that were involved in individual sports. In endurance, we had triathletes and marathons, uh, athletes, and then um, we had tennis players, uh, boxers, uh, boxing, um, yeah. and then uh, motor sports, um, uh, 24-hour Le Mans driver, yeah. uh, and a dirt bike uh, rider, national level. 
And then obviously we had skiers, um, one of which is actually quite famous, mm-hmm. <laughs> was. Uh, after his retirement, it was Alberto Tomba. Oh. And so, yeah, he was exposed from the get-going to, um, to quite an elite um, professional athlete environment. And um, it was very formative, also because I was way... <laughs> way younger than the youngest one. Yeah. I was 21, 22, 23, and the youngest one was in the middle, mid 30s. Um, so, yeah, I know it was, it was very interesting and, and it served me well uh, for the future for uh, A, a bit of humbleness and, uh, and also obviously uh, learning the job. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the two and always went parallel. My ski instructor qualifications and then the coaching career and, and the strength and condition coaching. Um, yeah. Well, I think what we'll do because that's that's hugely interesting because I think you're coming to then skiing with a whole different. Uh, I wouldn't say different way of th- well, it might even be a different way of thinking, but a whole different kind of uh, perspective that probably most ski instructors going through their formation, they pick up a bit of that stuff, but maybe that isn't, you know, half of the thing that they do. So we'll definitely come back to that, but let's finish off what, ha- you know, what happened to the rest of your kind of ski instructor journey. So you've done the Basie 1 and 2, the next winter comes around. So where, where do you go from there? Um, I trained, uh, I was lucky enough to have a group of people around me that did the gap course with me, mm-hmm. what is the course, um, that stayed. And so together we skied quite a bit during the, during the, the next winter. And at the end of it, I proposed to jump onto the Canadian level three that at the time was still organized. I think it was the last year <clears throat> that it was organized in Verbier. Okay. So a bit by chance and a bit by uh, curiosity, I got involved in the, in the level three and passed it. Mm-hmm. And um, I got a job offer at the end of that season from the examiners uh, to go to Whistler. Um, I'm still I'm, I'm still a bit gutted that I didn't accept it. Yeah, uh, it worked out. The family issues that I had the year after, luckily, <laughs> luckily and unluckily, but yeah. Um, because uh, because the year after I, I I could see myself staying in Switzerland, it made sense to then uh, say okay, pick one association and finish your education, and so I did I did so with the Swiss snow sports. Okay. Um, the year after I started all my second discipline, my mind and safety, my technical teaching levels with the Swiss snow sports. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for you it was a conscious decision that Switzerland was in your future, so that it made more sense to you in a in a similar way that it did for me to be to be Swiss snow sports qualified. Yeah, yeah, there were definitely two uh, two sides of there. One was I'm in Switzerland; I should get going with uh, with uh, the education that I can get here. Uh, I am obviously Italian. I speak English, um, Italian, and French. So mm-hmm. I have choices of venues and courses and so on. Yeah. And it was the fact that I really liked the way the Swiss skied. I, I had a good friend, um, Andrea Bionda, who's still around, um, who um, took me a little bit under his wing and helped me skiing. The TD uh, at the time, Michel Marais, was also a very good skier and, and a very good trainer and so we got uh, we got a bit together and then I had the chance to, to ski with them and and follow their um, 
their guidance a bit. And so I was actually, yeah, inspired by the way the Swiss put their um, pathway together, uh, not just about the the usual longs and shorts and bumps and variables, but also all the different skills, you know, forms that are there in order to showcase different skills like the short turns variations, the carving variations, all the jumping stuff, yeah. the GS and the starting together, not just one or the other. It was quite inspiring to see these guys skiing so well and be so polyvalent rather than mm. be rigid in one thing. And and so yeah, um, it was it was a good journey. It was intense, but a good journey. It's um, there's something in their skiing, isn't there? That 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 is. It's so hard to put your finger on what it is exactly. But the, a lot of that stuff that's in in their formation, all of that agility stuff, definitely definitely adds into the 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 the, the, the pot in terms of what goes up goes it goes into making a, a you know a Swiss style, if you like. Um, but it's it yeah, it's amazing to me to see the sort of the the, the fluidity you know, which even the the top skiers in any given village all ski with the same sort of how do I say the same sort of freedom and style you know like I know I mean I, I ski a lot in a little tiny village called Morjan it's not you know it's like 1200 people there it's not very big it's not a big it's not what you call a big centre of anywhere but I know three or four people in that five at least you know in that village you would ski the socks off of anyone in some of the other instructor systems and it's it's you know, that's just a small kind of backwater in Switzerland to a certain extent. It's amazing the skiers that they produce and that their system produces. Yeah, it's. Um, I think there is a strong note on can you do everything? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a 20-something-year-old, I thought, wow, these guys always try to see if they can actually get this done, you know, not just limiting, I think it's a a mindset, it's not limiting yourself to what is uh, required as a minimum uh, in terms of overall, not just just the level of what you do, but how many other things can you learn and perform, and yeah, it was inspiring, it still is, Um, and then obviously certain things changed, but the backbone of, of the, the education that they provide is still the same. Um, once you reach the high high levels, I think the, um, all associations tend to align, in my experience at least. Maybe we can go through that as well later on. Yeah, yeah. Associate, having been being exposed to different associations is interesting also because of that, because you can try, at least for me it was, okay, let's see if, an association, if an education better, an education pathway requires individuals to go through certain things. Which kind of output does it produce in the end? You know, mm-hmm. and it kind of changes as you go through. If you stop at level two, you have a certain output. Mm-hmm. If you stop at level three, if we if we go through a, a four levels uh, kind of a, uh, education, mm-hmm. and then. Yeah, in my experience, once you once you reach the level four, as in the full sir, there is way more alignment in terms of what can those uh, performance create in terms of output. Everyone is very highly skilled. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, yeah, I agree with you in some ways and, and not others, but but uh, like you know, for example, the heavy <laughs> emphasis in 
in Swiss snow sports, for example, on being able to ski uh, backwards at a high level, that, for example, is not in the Basie Level 4, for mm. example. Um, that kind of free run concept, you know, that, that, that I think I've talked about on here before. Where in your free run, you know, for you, you've done it, and so have I. You know, the the the, the there's got to be a you know four calf switch turns or whatever like that. I've never seen anything like that in Basie. Basie is just like you know long short long turns, short turns. That's it. There's no, you know, they're very very rigid in terms of what they examine on, um, in in that regard. But but yeah, I mean certainly, I, I suppose you're right. Like at the top level, all the good skiers are good skiers, and then I guess it just comes down to sort of national national stylistic kind of things you know everyone's kind of doing the same thing to a certain extent it's just kind of then you've got these sort of cultural things that come through in people skiing that means that you know all italians look a certain way all swiss look a certain way all british guys ski a certain way like that obviously comes through from somewhere do you see what yeah. i mean that's yeah. what it looks like yeah. to me is is very true i think um is is interesting to see uh, why, or at least to try to analyze why uh, certain decisions are made and certain outputs are, are achieved. Mm. For example, with the Swiss, they only two years ago, two or three years ago, they introduced a specific module for racing and for freestyle mm. before have any kind of coaching or any kind of uh, dedicated qualification or courses for either of these two, because Quite simply, because they were include, at least in my opinion, they were including elements of both in each of their level. Beside the level, the entry level of the Swiss education, yeah. your um, second and third level have a GS race. So, yeah. what's the yeah a race component? Another race component. If I already cover it there, same with the freestyle. Yeah. The Italians used to do the same as well. The Italians used to not have any freestyle component at all in their education system. Yeah. I don't know if there are people in the, in the podcast talking about how the, the Italian education is structured. It's very different from anywhere else in the world, really. Um, and, uh, and so the, the majority of uh, instructors are not asked or not pushed to get that thing, those skills developed. They might have it because they're passionate, because they have a background, because they get interested later on. Yeah. But the, the education system doesn't require them to focus on it. There is more requirement towards giant slam, for example, which is also why the Italian system, you go through it only on giant slam skis, uh, whether there are 30 meters or the more uh, tourist oriented, you know, 18, 20, whatever. Yeah. But you do education only on GS skis. The Swiss, for example, you do all your education on slalom skis because of those requirements, you know, matching the requirements that the education system... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. Do you mind if we digress into the Italian system? Do you? Do because you, I think while we've got an Italian on, it might as well be worth us talking about it. But uh, as I understand it, the entry level as in to get into the system in Italy is the Eurotest or, or uh, is, is that the case? Correct, yeah. Since early 2000, I'm not going to give you the exact date because I don't recall it right now, yeah. but since when the Eurotest got um, uh, implemented uh, in, uh, through, in some countries in Europe mm. uh, with the EU and so on, um, 
the Italians have always required an entry test in order for you to access the education yeah. um, pathway. So still today you have to, to go through two stages. One is the Eurotest. Mm-hmm. Once you pass that, you're then allowed to enter the second um, stage of um, selection, um, it's called, which are um, free field, what they call it, or campo libero. So you have... Uh, the examiners at the bottom, and you have to do a short-term run, a carving run, a uh, Cristiani Avanzata, which is, which some uh, in Anglo-Saxon, <laughs> in English-speaking systems, call advanced parallel. Okay. Uh, and I think there's another run, which is like mixed turns mm-hmm. of sorts. Uh, so they give you a pitch, and they go, okay, go it, go for it. Yeah. And, and after that, after these two filters, you enter the education. By law, the education, it needs to be at least 90 days uh, of education in at least a year and a half. Mm-hmm. At the end of the education, you pass another Euro test, and then you're fully qualified master of the sheet. Wow. Wow, that's completely yeah. different to anything else, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was saying. Yeah. I have the pleasure to work with a lot of Italian instructors and coaches because we, we collaborate training instructors and so on. Yeah. And um, some are against, many, many are pro. Mm. But again, more than the, the, the political or personal choice of being pro and against, every system needs to match with the demand of the environment and the, the culture that they are within. In Italy, the, the ski instructing job is a recognized profession that's why you have an albo you have a register for in each region mm-hmm. where you have your name listed and each region at the end of or beginning of the year or whatever the summer um they um officialize how many places they have mm. available for you to operate in the region and therefore how many places the education system should provide the region makes sense in order to yeah. work Oh, wow. And so there is that element, and then there's another element. Everyone in Italy wants to be a ski instructor. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you ski, you want to be a maestro. Whether you're from Sicily or from Val d'Aosta, yeah, every yeah. Italian <laughs> wants to be. So you have maybe not 60 million people, which is the population of Italy, but you have thousands, yeah, yeah. thousands of people that are as, uh, aspired to, to get into the profession and therefore you have a huge pool of people that you can choose from so if you have that then you may as well start like just like you do in med school yeah. you don't get everyone in med school you select at the beginning yeah. through tests which are by definition arbitrary you try to make them as in the going in the running of them you try to make them as fair as possible but yeah. how you test people Someone needs to sit down and go, okay, this is how you test them. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you may as well just select the good ones, in your opinion, what good is opinionated, opinionable, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. But then, you know what I mean? So what's the point of getting someone that is average, in inverted commas, yeah. when you pick the best 10 of the region? You may as well just start from the best 10 skiers, so that hopefully in your education, um, the time you spend educating these people, mm. you don't have, or you, sh- you probably shouldn't 
focus too too much on technical again because they can pass a Euro test and then yeah. uh, a free run or a series of free runs they should be all right that's why you test in them so you can maybe focus a bit more on their teaching on their yeah yeah uh, yeah you know, on yeah. those skills rather than technical it's a it's a yeah no it's a really good filter isn't it because you know like that 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 Eurotest barrier immediately eliminates everyone from like Milan and Turin and all the big cities yeah. like so then you kind of yeah like it's you know you get the good guys right you get the guys who grew up racing it's just, we've talked about this before on the podcast you know you get the guys who were in ski club and you know raced at a regional level or something like that a reasonable level you know that's what the Eurotest is you, you could see why that filter would be in place I totally get it I totally get it now yeah and then, then one can opinionate, but are you testing, you only test in the technical abilities and not the teaching ability, which mm. is evidently true because there's no teaching assessment in the selection. So that's where even in Italy you have old and, and, and younger instructors going, well, maybe there is a better way of selecting. Mm. Um, and that we can, we can just discuss that, but they, the, the AMSI, the Italian Association, has decided to select that way. Yeah. Um, the French, I believe, do something similar, but then you have the stagiaire um, stage, which in, in Italy doesn't really exist. You either are in or out. Yes, yes. Yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, we can... Uh, <laughs> Opinions, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose so. I have to ask the uh, the question about the, the, the myth. Uh, I don't know whether it's a myth or not. But someone said to me, there's no assessment for moguls whatsoever in Italian in the Italian formation system. And I can't believe that. But, you know, this is the one, this uh -huh. is the one that I hear often, that, 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 that there's no moguls in the Italian formation system. But who knows? Do you there know? Is, it depends. So there is a component. Uh, you're, not, you're not completely of the um, uh, you know only on groomers yeah um, but compared to other uh, education systems you have way less okay because the focus is not so much there uh, you have your variables you have your bit of off-piste you have your avalanche training because you have to yeah. with the ems all yeah. the italian qualification all the italians must pass uh mm. The, um, the EMS so they have to be able to ski off piece they have to know their mountain safety regulations and, and how to uh, how to use the, the AVI kit and so on mm -hmm. so it is off piste you can't really go away from it yeah um, focus though is not as great is not as um, so, um, are you saying it's not as, as big yeah. as yeah as associated yeah, I hear you. Okay. Um, when, okay, so we've touched on Italian skiing culture. I mean, you've, you've spent, so you spent time in the Swiss system, you spent time in the Canadian system, you spent time, you know, looking at, uh, well, you've been, been in Bayesian a little bit as well. We've talked about at the upper levels, you, you know, it, it kind of tends to even out a little bit. Um, what do you, out of those three systems that you've spent the time in, is everyone essentially talking about the same thing, um, but using different words? Because that's what it looks like to me. And I've spent some time reading the Bayesian manual, the Swiss manual, and the Irish manual. 
and we're we're all doing the same thing and just putting different labels on it, aren't we? Is that fair to say? Um, yeah. Um, There's no one reinventing the wheel, is there? That's what I'm saying. It's I think is is um, for for um, <laughs> for a comparison. I think is is easier to go to broaden the horizon a bit mm. and go if you play basketball. Yeah. The basket, the the ring, the the hop, whatever the hoop is always at the same height, and the field is always on the same size. Mm-hmm. Whether you play in the NBA or in Europe or in um, Serbia, where they have a great basketball um, history, mm-hmm. the field is the same, and and the same is for skiing. You still are the same person uh, working under the same laws of gravities and on the same snowpack, whether it's icy or soft, we have a bit more range, but in the end, you have the same bodies trying to perform the same thing in the end, Mm -hmm. physics-wise. It might vary a bit when you broaden the horizon again, if you are from uh, Japan where you have 15 meters of snow, uh, or... You are from my region where last year we had 30 centimeters of snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You're nice. Wherever you go in, in my region, 90% of the time you'll be skiing on marble, not, not yeah. really snowpack. Um, so that will change a little bit the focus of the education system itself, but in the end, we have to align. The sport is the same, mm. at least in my experience. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Is you want to put more focus on one bit over the other of the same sport, and skiing is is pleasant because you have a broad um, or a broad field of of uh, performance that you can cover. Uh, you can be a bit more of freestyle. You can be a bit more racy in terms of uh, gates mm. or. Uh, we because we're not just sportsmen, but we're also teachers. There is also different. There might be a different focus on which kind of service do you want your instructors to provide in your nation or in your resort, and so on. Mm. All in circles, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, I talked. To, I remember talking to. I can't remember who it was that we talked about to on, on the previous podcast about this. But you're you're right. You know, there is. Um, you know, for example, if you look at the US. You know, there's a lot of client-focused kind of uh, aspects to what what it is that they do. But also when you look at the snow uh, in certain parts of the U.S., you know, it's different to what that you might... The, the requirements that the clients might want to do. And you think about, you know, how their whole mountain is sort of avalanche-controlled, say. So people are much more interested in kind of getting off... off I wouldn't say off the beaten tracks, but certainly into the trees, into the side country and whatever. Um, and maybe your system kind of allows a little bit for that, you know, like in, in an environment like that where you're getting a lot of snow and, you know, people want to access the off-piece because that's what the client wants in that country. Your system yeah. might develop in a way that allows the, the, the teachers to deliver that to the clients. Whereas if you take that same thing and you transport it to say, I don't know, uh, I'm just going to pull something out of out of the air, right? Austria, say, where there's much more focus and awareness on something like the World Cup. So, so people might want to be trying to emulate, say, Marcel Herscher or something. So your system might grow up there, where or, or develop there, 
where it's much, much more about performance or carving or edging or that kind of stuff. And so at that set, you know, in the same way that the formation develops for the instructors and, and um, uh, the, the tests and stuff that the instructors have develops according to what, what, the, what the nation wants, the system will also develop in the other way to deliver what it is that maybe the client group wants to yeah, be taught. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I very much agree. Um, we need, we all need to fit with expectations that our, the majority of our clientele has. Um, North America in general has a strong component on teaching and customer care because North Americans have uh, an expectation on a certain customer care to be delivered a certain way. Mm. And it's the same wherever you go, in, in Austria, in Italy, and so on. Um, I, for example, work with um, North American um, qualified instructors mm -hmm. and, and, and coaches and so on. And, you know, they have to fit with that kind of expectation. Um, they would they talk about not giving, for example, just, just as a little example that narrows down a bit the mm. general conversation. Don't give the this 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 trend in North America of not try try to avoid to give a bad negative feedback as in rather than saying you're doing this wrong, you should say, okay, try to do this. Yeah. I don't know if this can be uh, an interesting but in Italy, for example, mm. an, an Italian guest will want to tell him, will want you to tell him, her, what is happening wrong and what needs to be done right. So there's none of that uh, shit sandwich. There's <laughs> <laughs> no sugarcoating feedback. The bread needs to be, it can be very thin. <laughs> because the stations are there, you know what I mean? We yeah, like yeah. our bread, but it doesn't need, it can be crusty, it's all right, it doesn't need to be soft. <laughs> um, I didn't know that you had that in your culture in Italy. Like you, I, I, I didn't realize that they were quite direct like that. You know, like we have that. It, it's um, it's a, it's a source of, of frustration in my household because obviously I'm British, and my wife, uh, my wife is originally from Romania, and they are extremely direct. So your Romanians, like you know, Latin types, they would just tell you exactly what it is to your face, um, yeah. with no sugar coating at all. Whereas the British, it's really funny. Like I was teaching some British people at the weekend, and you'd say something like. Like that's interesting, or that was interesting. Like you know, like that that as a phrase to another British person would they would know what that means. But it certainly doesn't mean that was interesting. You know, we never say what we mean, and I'm sure you know this because uh, uh, it's something I have to learn. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it, it drives my wife bananas because we never say what we mean at all. You know, like there's this sort of secret code that underlines everything that we talk about. Um, but I, I had no idea that Italians would, were, were, were quite sort of direct like that. Is that is that how it is? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, I mean, so <laughs> um, the Brits, for a foreigner, yeah. the Brits tend to be roundabout uh, things. And yeah. yeah, yeah, No bad thing for, for what concerns a lot of situations, really. There's no reason to be too blunt uh, when you can be a bit rounder in the way you put yourself across. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for a foreigner, that a lot of times, A, either not perceived, as in we, we struggle to understand the point, yeah. or is perceived as 
mate, you just you just could tell me the truth. You just <laughs> me, you're not lying, but you're just hiding a bit. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, with that, this is also why it's come across uh, as either negative or blunt or a bit. I don't know if we can swear, but you can yeah, imagine yeah, what I'm, I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, to Brits, because there is this tendency of being way too blunt and way too um, yeah. passive about things, but it's not actually meant uh, to be that way. Sometimes it is, which is why also, for example, the French tend to have a better reputation amongst the Brits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Italians have a better reputation amongst the Brits because, unfortunately, not many of us speak fluent English, and so when you when you are trying to express yourself this way and you don't master the language, it's very easy to come across yeah. in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'll hear you. Yeah. Oh, you, you've, got, you've got two people trying to learn Italian at the moment. So uh, it's next on our language list for my daughter. So we're, uh, we've got the podcast right. going in the car. So we, we, we've progressed to, have, to, to being able to say hello, goodbye, and uh, my name is, is lesson two. So that's where we're, we're at right now. Um, it's, I think it's important, right? It's important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry is not a word they use as often in Italian. I can well imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't exist in French that much either. Like, it exists, but they don't use it very often. They'd much rather yeah, use the word excuse rather than désolé. That does not exist yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's something that still struck My world is in English. I speak in English with my girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, that, that's our language. Always, pretty much all my life, besides when I go back to Italy, my brother lived in Australia, so a lot of times we actually use English to express the, oh, ourselves really? better in certain wow. occasions. But sorry is one of those things that still, 15 years down the line, still strikes me. It's like, oh boy, yeah, yeah, I hear, yeah, sorry, all day. If I am, uh, it's funny, you don't notice it back home, yeah, you do the same, to, I do the same to my friends, and we go, mate, can you stop saying sorry? This oh is, man, what are you excusing yourself for? I totally agree. It drives me bananas when I go back to the UK. It's like, what are you sorry about? Stop saying sorry, everyone, it's, it's yeah. crazy. Because you, you just don't hear that word over here. Not in French, anyway, for sure. It's, um, there you go. So, yeah. you know, it's that cultural thing that will dictate how the education system will need to shape itself in order to match the demand. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. no one wants to be, or only the minority wants to be a free rider. Everyone wants to be a bit of a racist. Mm. Uh, uh, the next uh, Alberto Tomba, or uh, now that we have... Uh, a very good uh, female squad in the next wow, Sofia Gotti. Yeah. The, fe- the female squad at the moment in the World Cup is just killing it. They're just amazing. There's like a real crop that's all come through at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's not actually, yeah. It, it has um, a strong foundation there. You know, when, when, you, can, when you have a good team that uh, have individuals that can compete with each other at a high level, they, they're average level will rise mm. and our our girls are, are doing really well also because of that uh, a lot when you are an elite uh, sports person a lot needs to align uh, mm. injury first thinking of Sophia uh, Godja who just broke her mm. um, but the, um, if, if you have people around you that are competitive then you are most likely uh, able to 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 achieve your maximum or or a high potential for yourself and so on. Uh, yeah. We have the opposite situation with the boys. Uh, talking of racing, the mm. boys are actually struggling a bit. So 
Well, yeah. I mean, did, did, uh, I'm amazed that there's not more Starlimers coming through because you've still got Manny, um, Manny Mogg still going. He's like 40 or something like that. Like, it's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, you know, but he's still regularly putting it in the top 15, so why would you give up? You know, it's up to the young guys to try and come through, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you'll be amazed. Well, probably not amazed, but yeah, there is a lot of talk about this. Mm -hmm. uh, they're getting a lot of crap, the, the, the boys, for not performing and... The Italians do not accept uh, poor performances, and poor is anything uh, but first ten. And Manfred is the only one that, oh yeah, Manfred is still going, but yeah. only because his forties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, Manfred, well, if he had uh, half of his age, it would be a disappointment, probably. Yeah, <laughs> for the yeah, yeah. I hear you. Does that? Do, do they have the same? Uh, a lot is made, or was made. Uh, this is a real digression, but like in terms of football. Uh, back in the the nineties and stuff, when English football was sort of uh, you know still full of a sort of drinking culture and they weren't very professional, and then you looked across across the channel at like the Italians and stuff, and they were ultra professional about their football and stuff. Does that does does that general sort of sporting ethos go all the way through into into skiing as well? Like it's it's how would you say like it's not it's not that it's not serious, but they take that that same level of professionalism that they have, is that the same across all sports as it is in football? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, there are some sports where people are more relaxed, but everyone, when you try to do your best, you always try, you're always going to end up in a, in a bit of a serious mode. Mm. Um, Italians have to learn a lot from North Americans, for example, and I'm not the only one that says this. Mm. Um, trying to take yourself a little bit more uh, a, bit, a bit lighter. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, frankly, um, from the 90s, from late 80s into the 90s, uh, especially because of Alberto Tomba, mm. the expectations on ski clubs and coaches and athletes has um, rised, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. To the point that my generation, when we were kids, many, the vast majority actually, of my generation actually got alienated by it because there was a lot of pressure in trying to perform and, mm. and achieve. You either have the bunch that, you know, the little ski club that was lucky enough in a way to have a coach that took himself a little or herself uh, a little more, uh, a little lighter. Mm -hmm. uh, on average, you would have a lot of pressure. The coaches will be pretty hard on you. Uh, I was chatting to a, a girl, uh, a colleague that um, is slightly younger than me. She's 30, 29, 30. And she was saying, you know, I. <sighs> she needed a few years after uh, she got... Um, out of the sport because she had enough of it. Yeah. I'll give you one example. She beat herself a few times because she wasn't allowed to go in. Oh, really? This is the standard that we were on. And she was she's from my region, so we're not Alpine. If you mm. if you still consider us not Alpine, yeah. that's that was the attitude back then. Yeah. You just keep powering through. Shut up, get yeah. going. Wow. To the point that the poor girl. Yeah. And to me that is that is taking things out of proportion, way out of proportion. Who, which child deserves that treatment? Mm. Um, 
So, yeah, <laughs> to answer your question, yes, and also to an extreme end, they go way, way too serious with things. Yeah, 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 um, okay. So it's hard to find the balance sometimes. I always get uh, a big kick out of uh, talking to Italians. I think they've got such a sort of joy for life and that really comes through in this interview um, with Fede and, uh, and I very, very much enjoyed uh, having having this chat with him. Um, I really, really enjoyed uh, during this conversation that that, that sort of idea that <clears throat> national styles develop in the way that they do to serve the needs of their market. And I think that's really, really important. And you can break that down at a more individual level you know, with your own ski school or, or, or your own business or, or whatever it is, you know, you really drill down and you find out who your clients are. You make sure that your marketing and all of your message is kind of targeted to those clients. And that's something that I'm really, really focused on. And we're going to be doing a lot of work at Snow Pros on that over the summer to make sure that we really, really understand who our clients are and what, what, what their needs are. Um, so I received a couple of bits more, a uh, couple of more bits of correspondence. Um, thank you, Michael, for, for for taking the time to write to me. Uh, Michael gave me a lovely, uh, lovely email about sort of the instructors that he had experienced over the years. Um, some good, some bad, and um, I, I never really like to hear stories about sort of rubbish ski instructors, um, but they do exist. Um, and if you are one of them, up your game. Um, I'm sure you're not if you're really listening to this. Um, but a lovely email from Michael so thank you very very much uh, for getting in touch and the second one was from David Cousins Um, David was just getting in touch with me about the interview with Giles and he was um, uh, saying that he himself during his um, his his basic training has lapped the S bumps many 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 times and um, yeah and a lovely email from him so uh, so thank you David lovely of you to get in touch too um in part two of this podcast, um, we talk a, a little bit more about the uh, the Irish Association and, and, and Feddy's role on the uh, Education Committee. Uh, we then go on to talk about his business, Sub-Zero. And uh, the last bit, which I think is is, is definitely worth a listen because um, it's, it's super interesting, is about agility versus strength for the ski instructor or the athlete. And um, that's something that I'm quite quite sort of focused on personally in, in my own um uh, in my own skiing because i've gone away from trying to be strong i'd much rather try and be sort of lean and agile and that's the way that i'm trying to take my body really i'm trying to sort of slim down and 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 be quicker on my feet than than just a kind of big block of um uh well, no one would really call me a big block of muscle but uh, you know focusing more on strength and being heavier i think actually for the skiing that i do it's more of benefit for me to be lighter and um lighter and quicker on my feet so uh so that was my summer focus and it seems to have paid um paid dividends uh this winter so uh enjoy the second half of this um i've got a couple of uh, really interesting interviews set up for the rest of this month um one swiss another italian um and uh, i'm very much uh, looking forward to those two interviews so um enjoy the second half of this and i will see you on the next episode
So if I can just take you back one step. So it, you're on the education committee now for IASI, the Irish Instructor Association. How does, what, what, what market exactly are you looking to match then? If we were talking about the Italian you know, system, the American system, whatever, trying to match the needs of their country and the needs of the, the people that are applying to their association. So what are you doing within IASI to match that, that need? Or what, what is the need within IASI and what are you doing to, to, to kind of match that? Um, trying to answer the question from from the, the, the starting point, if uh, if you don't mind, and then yeah. hopefully no, I'm not going to go too long. No, I'm um, carry on. We've got all the time in the world, man. A few, a few years ago, the head of education of IASI at the time was Derek Tate, and um, along with Peter Gillespie, they were looking to get IASI into a place where the... Um, education pathway that was offered to members was uh, at the highest standard possible. So by then, um, IASI was already recognized by ISIA, so the International Ski Instructor Association for both the stamp and the card, mm-hmm. uh, which equates to level three and four. Yeah. And they were looking to get to expand a little bit on their education offer. And that's why I got, they got me involved and uh, along with um, Jamie Kagan, mm-hmm. who today is also um, in the education committee with myself and P. Gillespie. Yeah. So, frankly, that was it. The, 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 the aim was let's try to get people together so that we can offer an education that is um, valid and worthwhile and valuable for members, wherever the members wants to go work. Um, it could be Europe, it could be... Uh, North America or down under Australia, New Zealand, which is still very popular, yeah. um, and and where we have members going um, to work. And even though it's maybe is a simple answer, but that was the core of it. Um, how we got there was, as I said, by getting Derek go involved, got people involved with a different background. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is um, was an examiner for the Canadian system. I have this the past that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, Pete and Derek have been in the industry for decades, and so together we tried to put an education uh, pathway, an offer that gathered uh, all the elements that we could fit in that made sense for members to go through and have. Um, and be proud of their qualification, one, Mm -hmm. and also put them in the best place, whichever market they would go to. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I ask the question? (laughs) No, no, it does, it does. It's it's kind of trying to be as multi-useful as possible. I guess is is what you're saying for the pe- so so the people that are coming in, into your system, they want options. You know who 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 do they tend to be? Who is your kind of uh, typical member? If you if you if there is such a thing, um, members that want to have their education want to go through their education in English to start mm-hmm. with. Yeah, um, since they live it in English, mm-hmm. um, we have different nationalities from Europe. Uh, mainly from Europe, yep. um, be, and 
many are Brits. Um, many are also Irish. Luckily, there is a port of Irish instructors and Irish people that are uh, involved in the association and, and wants to um, to get into the the ski industry. Mm-hmm. And and are looking to get not to not necessarily be confined in one specific place, um, which is also also probably why we don't have a hub somewhere specifically, if that makes sense. Yep. I know that, for example, Brits have always been um, attracted to France, and therefore um, there is a big attraction to that country. Um, okay. Normal. Yeah. I'm using the Brits mainly because they are probably the biggest association that operates outside of their own borders. If you talk to an Italian, we're all in the same in the same countries because we have the game, the field games for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. While we don't, uh, or Aizi doesn't, because in Ireland the skiing skiing is very limited, then then the world, if you open up, the world is your is your. Um, mm-hmm. And therefore, if if that is what you're trying to cater for, then you need to come out with solutions that work uh, broadly and worldwide. Yeah. 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 I, I, it's funny. I was thinking about this exact topic the other day because I think if you were talking to, you know, uh, an average Swiss, they, 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 I don't suppose that they would even, or Swiss, or you know, an, maybe an Italian, maybe you're the exception to the rule, um, or whatever. Like I, I don't think they would even necessarily. They, they'd look at kind of the British or or the, the the Irish systems, and they would they would look at it and go like, what is what is this? Like it's really. You know this kind of approach to looking very, very wide in terms of you know the possibilities of working anywhere. I think your average kind of you know Italian, Swiss, Austrian, or whatever would do a, a Swiss, Italian, or Austrian qualification and look to work in their own country or even in you know within their own village or something. In the in in the main, it's yeah. um, this sort of globalist approach is is really unique only to a few organisations within skiing. Yeah, and, and again, is um, is where you're from. Um, if you are a rugby player in Italy, your inspiration is not to make just to make to the national team. Yeah. Is probably to be a professional athlete, paid and uh, and successful beyond Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I used to play rugby as a kid. If I were to follow the path, my maximum aspiration yeah. wouldn't be to play Bologna rugby team, which is pretty average I'm sorry to say <laughs> but you know for whichever team and NZ I mean the dream of every Italian rugby player is to go to a, to NZ and play NZ rugby or yeah. Aussie yeah, yeah. Uh, or yeah. or British or you know whichever of the British parts you want to go and play yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you know and so once once you start looking from that perspective it's fairly physiological. It's very normal that an Italian would not really think about going abroad and would look at foreign nations to go, oh, mate, you don't, have a, you don't stand a chance. Yeah. Just like Italians don't stand a chance in the, in the five nations. <laughs> <laughs> well, born every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No exception. That's all so, starting yeah. again soon, isn't it? Six nations. Uh, uh, six Nations, I even called it Five Nations. Well, that, yeah. That's how much that's how... <laughs> I'd be one in two <laughs> as an Italian. 
a low profile and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> watch the rugby match, but don't go out in the pub when uh, <laughs> if you are abroad or in the UK when the Italians are playing. Yeah, but everyone loves to go and to Rome. Yeah, everyone loves the trip to Rome, don't they? Yeah, that's the one. You know, all the Brits, with no exception, whether they're Welsh, um, Scottish, or English, they will or whatever, they always say, oh, but at least you tried. Good, good try. Well, Thank yeah, you, boys. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so where is the surprise when a Swiss turns around or a French turns around and says, oh, yeah, good try, mate, yeah. <laughs> in the ski industry? It's the same thing. It really is. Well, <laughs> yes, mind. yes. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think Alberto Tomba <laughs> might have something to say about that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, okay. So... That's so the so the idea just to just to kind of finish off that section. So the so the idea really around the Irish Association now is to provide as many options as possible for those going through that system. So when they pop out of that system, because I'm not sure if everybody knows, I'm sure we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but at the top of the Irish system, you also have the choice of hitting the I the ISIA speed test and or at sorry, or the Euro test and those give you the option then, assuming you reach the highest level within the Irish system, that to, to, to go into, you know, either to have a, a French equivalence or um, or a Swiss equivalence is, is essentially the purpose of those two options at the top of the level there. Yeah, or, or even an American full set equivalent or down under New Zealand. Yes, sorry, that applies to the ISASP test, right? Yeah. 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 If you are, yeah, if you are in Europe, and you want to be recognised, especially now with the CTT, and if you want, we can talk about the CTT. Oh, please um, no. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be working freely in Europe since 2019, you have to have the CTT. Therefore, there is there is much point to to offer that. But if you're not from Europe and you still want, oh, better. If if you don't want to work in Europe and you're focused somewhere else. Yeah. Why? Why should we look for an European-only um, output? We may as well align with what the ISA requirements are and, and give you the option. Yeah. Therefore, ISA card includes the ISA speed test now, and there you go. There you go. It's very. It's good. Very logical. Yeah. And now we inherited it. Derek Tate um, mindset and point of view, which, yeah. yeah. Again, well, once it's logical, it's then easy to explain, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Let me, um, let me now take you to, to your work. So you were, you know, going back to when you were training as um, training with all these kind of, uh, uh, as a coach or a strength and conditioning coach for all of these um, these professional athletes. That was running alongside your formation as a ski instructor. But your business now, so you, 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 do you still split your time between doing the two? And is that what your business now in Zermatt is? Are you working partly on that and partly on skiing or what, what how does it all piece together um when i was uh 23 so a few years ago now i had to make a decision on whether i wanted to be a full-time strength and conditioning coach or a ski instructor or work in general in the in the ski industry mm-hmm. uh, because i had 
requests for year-round jobs or more um, more specific, you know, I, I had to commit one way or the other. Yeah. Um, I got, sorry, I got an offer from uh, the school I was working with at the time to move uh, from out of Derbien into Zerma to become a director of a school. Mm-hmm. Um, he appealed to me, and so I accepted, and I became uh, the technical director for the school at a fairly young age of 23. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how my ski coaching really started, ski coaching in terms of training ski instructors. Yeah. Um, I've done a few years there and then moved to another school pretty much in the same role. Mm-hmm. And alongside with that, I decided to open uh, my own company mainly because it was easier to manage and it allowed me to be to place myself in a position that was more in my perspective was fairer uh, that, that way I could having your own company having my own company allowed me to deliver focus on ski instructor professional development to start with mm-hmm. and also I don't employ instructors the, the instructors that train me with me are not employed by me Mm-hmm. They all for another school, which is also the point of my company. I'm not a ski school. I have to be licensed at the ski school as a ski school in order to be able to operate legally in Switzerland, mm-hmm. which is why I did that director course we talked about. Yeah, um, but I don't operate as a ski school at all. Um, I don't market the company. We don't market ourselves as as a ski school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allows me to be neutral, so that. My and the company's interests are perfectly aligned with the ski instructor interests as well as the ski schools that we work with. Um, because every time the ski, the instructor that we train succeeds in uh, its, his, hers exams, mm-hmm. we both win. Every time they get a pay rise, we both win. Every time the day they'll become examiners, we'll create a legacy. So mm. we can be together in the journey throughout. Um, and that's, that's what we do now. The, the, my job is 90% of the time focused on professional development for ski instructors. Mm-hmm. In the summer, I left for a few years the um, strength and conditioning coaching because of the lack of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also geographically, I couldn't be based in, in Bologna anymore. Yeah. Um, the last couple of years, I started again to pick up um, the, the, the pace on that. Also because through the years, I got other qualifications, uh, posture education, massage therapy, um, different speci- specializations in nutrition and um, movement pattern abilities, uh, So, which that is a bit of a geeky side. So I can... Um, I, I'm, I'm happy when I can coach people, whichever the environment is. Yeah. And now that I can, I try to match the two um, year-round, pretty much. But yeah, the main focus now is ski instructor training. Okay. Now, if if we can, I'd love to talk a little bit about... Because when... when let me get my thoughts in order here. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about what's important within skiing for from a um, strength and conditioning point of view. Because I think often, I know it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily always the case, but let's say from an outsider's point of view, looking in about maybe 
three or four years ago, the world, the social media of the World Cup races and stuff would have you believe that in order to ski well, all you would need to do is just get on the squat rack and get really, really, really strong. And that that changed and pivoted a little bit recently. And you see a lot of guys doing a lot more work on kind of balance, agility, movement, that kind of stuff. Um, in order to be... And I've personally gone away from, you know, not that I was a particularly very much of a gym monkey anyway, but I've, I've particularly gone away from that in recent years to more of a focus on quick feet and um, sort of a general sort of overall core strength, but using either body weight or, or slightly weighted kind of move, general movements. And I wonder how you think about that in terms of skiing. Like what is, is there... For, for kind of ski instructor skiing, we're not talking about skiing at the highest level, but we're talking, um, you know, the World Cup level, or, or well, obviously. But what we're talking about ski instructor skiing is like, what is, is 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 agility more important than strength, or would you say it's the other way around, or is there is there something I'm missing out of all of this? Do you want the longest short answer? <laughs> Take your time. Take your time. Um, I want to so know what you know. <laughs> <laughs> Has uh, just a, a, maybe we can start from from your question in terms of the the, um, the parallelism you made with uh, the World Cup and and how that is perceived or we perceived and then what needs a ski instructor needs to go through. Yeah. Um, briefly, the World Cup better elite athletes have gone from um, a training philosophy that lasted up until the beginning of the 80s, which was ski, ski, ski. Mm-hmm. Um, great extent, gyms were not used that much at all. Weightlifting, in, generally speaking, in sports was not that common. Mm-hmm. And it was all about practice your sport, use a lot of drills on field, whichever sport you were in, skiing included. Mm-hmm. And then from the mid-80s, the world started changing because we started coaching wise we started picking up on how much you could achieve by lifting weights and so that made the news so people started saying oh christ we we, we need to start lifting weights and mm-hmm. a lot of the um of the prejudice that was around gyms and lifting uh, started falling uh, apart. Mm-hmm. Also, because a lot of athletes started making a point of winning because of their strengths. Yeah. Um, Edmund Meyer was one, uh, which also recovered through uh, what today we could call gym routines, just for the general public to call or to, to yeah. give them a brand name. Um, Alberto Tomba was another one uh, that got famous for lifting, I don't know, 250 kilos in a squat rack, 300, 330, 340 on a leg press. Mm-hmm. Um, but they will still do a lot of the balance stuff that today we see the top athletes doing in those circuits that are super crazy and they're really cool to watch. Yeah. Um, when when we used to train Alberto, Alberto at the after his retirement at the age of forty something, um, could still jump a rope that was on my chest. I'm not too tall, but <laughs> yeah. you know, standing still, he could just jump a meter and a half ish with no problem. Yeah. Um, Meaning that it wasn't just power, but there was also um, in a sec. So there was also the agility component had always had to be trained. 
Um, I think now with the social media, we see a lot more of that. Also because it's more pleasant to watch. Watching something squatting, you can probably watch a weightlifter squatting and you'll be more impressed than a skier, Mm -hmm. even though it's still impressive. Um, You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Yeah, our perception has probably changed a bit also because of the exposure that we get as a general public, we get of what an elite athlete does. Mm. Um, we also need to remember that what we see of what the, the athletes, the professionals do is not all out because as a coach, I will never tell you what I do with my athletes. <laughs> yeah. Not, not you might use it, but because... I am competing with others that are trying to find the best setup for their own athletes in order to succeed. So there is a lot of jealousy in keeping secrets or keeping some things that maybe we all use. <laughs> you still keep a secret from the others. Yeah. Um, to give you an answer on what instructors need, in one word, first, balance. Okay. Uh, before getting lost in... Uh, agility, strength, and so on. This is a sport of balance, and therefore, you need balance. How much time you spend training balance compared to the rest? That is the first question that I would ask whoever athlete comes to me, or, sorry, skin strata comes mm-hmm. to me, which is also what we talk about when we run the coaching theory, for example, um, whether it is for, for um, instructors in my uh, training programs or, in this case, also for IAs and so on. Yeah, yeah. We need to start from balance, um, coordination, and then you have range of motion and flexibility, so mm-hmm. how much your joints can, can range in yeah. your motion and how much your muscles can be supporting that. And only then, only after that, is worthwhile pursuing your maximum agility and your maximum strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, without these fundamental components beforehand, you're putting big wheels on a small engine car. There's yeah. no point in using Formula One wheels when you have a Fiat Cinquecento car um, yeah. engine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that will, for me that would be the the first fundamental part. Um, then you know we can get into details of what else one should do, but there is a full uh, branch of sports science uh, which narrows down in periodization. Mm. What do you do? If you have a plan, if better, if you have an athlete and you need to train this athlete, first of all, you don't think in weeks or months. You think in at least a year plan, if not three, if not five. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel all that time? Do you just go skiing? No. Do you just do balance no, so each time of the year you will be able to dedicate it to certain skills that need to be improved. And then you build a house, you build layers bit by bit yeah. um, that allow you to build your athlete around your needs. Ski instructors need to understand also which kind of season they're looking uh, into. Are you looking to get 700 hours of teaching? and therefore your summer will need to be spent in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Looking to get your Euro test. So are you preparing a race or a series of races if you're not successful at the first attempt? Mm-hmm. Um, it's different than going for your level three, where you have the tech exam, the teach exam. You need maybe a season or two to prepare for all of that. Then you have your mountain safety, so you need a bit of touring, so you need stamina and cardio. 
you know, or, um, yeah, it depends on what needs you have and therefore what you need to come up with in your, in your training. And it's not just summer, but it also needs to be winter and vice versa. You can't think about your sport being season, uh, seasonal and therefore you only train in, in the winter. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Very high expectation on your body to pick, pick you up so quickly in such, such a short amount of time. You are excluding, effectively excluding half of your life, sport-wise, uh, from the sport if you only train in the winter. Yeah, yeah. So you're, what, what you're effectively saying is that my, my training program getting ready for the, the, the winter in the summer, which is essentially riding my motorbike around in Italy, Eating pizza and tiramisu is not great preparation for the ski, uh, <laughs> ski season. Um, well, I'm more than happy to come with you since I'm more like myself. <laughs> that would be a very good way to spend the summer, but possibly not, not the best for skiing. To get fit for skiing. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. To be fair, I, I changed it around this year. So, so what I do now, my my personal routines, I play indoor five side football once a week. I do. And this win this so I've taken my my I don't go to the gym anymore. I don't do any of that kind of stuff. I do like you said, I do I try to do some stuff that looks a little bit like um, you know, fast feet stuff and alternate that with um what alternate that with with like core strength like uh things like farmers carries and that kind of thing and that that seems to be just enough to kind of keep the wolf from the door from from for, for me but i don't do that much kind of out and out performance skiing anymore like I, I tend to spend my time teaching and cruising around the hill but i wouldn't say i'm kind of training towards anything anymore so i don't really have that that need, you know, to, to, to kind of build myself up into something that I don't need to be. I find that I ski better when I'm lighter. And so if I'm kind of sitting in the gym putting on like muscle mass and stuff, I actually I get a much better result out of out of what I'm trying to do on the snow. If I'm like five kilos lighter than 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 I would be if I'd spent the entire summer in the gym. It's really um yeah. it's really interesting that because I'm trying to the way that I've gone with my own skiing is that I'm trying to use the snow more. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to force it anymore. Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm trying to kind of use um, use my body more cleverly to mm-hmm. to to position myself better over the ski so that that kind of my body does the work for me rather than me trying to you know force everything into the snow or, or, or kind of um, you know use power. Uh, that seems to be the way that I've gone in 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 more recent years. I'm more about about trying to be skillful than I am trying to be powerful. Yeah, I mean that you introduce a very good point there as well. A way around with your career and also way around with your past sport experience. Mm. Um, how much you've developed of some skills over others, and also age. Um, if you are 20, you by default will have an agility set point that is probably higher than yourself at 40. Yeah. Um, the body tends to go more into transforms itself into a aerobic machine as you get older, and therefore people tend to be appreciative more of their endurance training. Also, mm. because there is a mindset change. Um, if you wear 
um, the age, yeah, let's call that, imagine that you're 50 and you want to go through your level three and four, you actually will need, you can't do what you are doing now that you've finished your exams. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Your body, yeah. your requirements have changed for a very long, we can try to narrow it down a bit, series of things that are need to be prioritized over others. You've already achieved your exams, therefore you don't have so much stress on that, so you don't need to train as much on that. You want to be more skillful, therefore feeling and being more agile will pay back more mm. than being, as you said, heavier or stronger uh, yeah. because you already have the skill set on skis to perform. Mm. If you didn't, then maybe we need to look at other things and that's where the job of coaching strength and conditioning as much as ski coaching becomes really interesting because you can't if you want to maximize a person's performer performance level mm. you can't get an off-the-shelf product and just uh force feed it mm. in mm. everyone everyone will need must go through a bit more of an individual uh, program an individual um, customized routine in order to achieve um, the highest performance per, at each given stage. Yeah. It's hard. I'm aware that I'm not giving you a straightforward answer, but it's because there is no actual straightforward answer. We can talk about either in very general um, and a very broad horizon on what things we uh, compose that periodization and, and strength conditioning coaching is about. But then we'll, we'll need to go into very specific, okay, testing, let's see how, where is your weakness, what is your target, what age, what injuries you carry, and therefore we can then mm. come up with a narrow, narrowed-down answer. You see where I'm going with this? No, I totally do. I, I think it's hugely interesting because, I, you know, like I said, I mean, that's how I would assume that it would go. But you do have... You do have a lot of people out there offering a, a sort of, um, uh, you know, like a one-size-fits-all. I'm thinking of like gap programs and all that sort of stuff. There can't be that much individualization going on within those when you've got eight person, you know, eight people in a group, you know, for an entire season. I can't imagine that it's that unique. And that's well, that's the, this kind of the different different perspective that I'm looking for by speaking to you because you know you've you you've you've done strength and conditioning coaching for individual athletes you know at the highest level so this is kind of the answer that I am looking for you know everyone's needs is slightly different it is exactly the same way as when you turn up for a regular ski lesson right and you say to the person you know what is it that you're looking to do today you know what are you trying to achieve here and you've got to have that conversation with everybody yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's the same as uh, training a team. Uh, you, whether it's a football team of 11 on the field or an American football team that is, what, 70 plus? Yeah, yeah. Or a basketball team, five on the court. Um, you still have a team, but each one will have to be the coach uh, or the coaching team will have to look at each individual and say, okay, we need to work on this a bit more. We need to... Um, work on this a little less because you're actually already skilled at that point at this point of your career um for me i know i'm aware that i'm limited to uh, my experience but when i ski coach i also look a lot about the physical skills that people have and it's not just as we said before it's not just strength or agility is 
Okay, you have a back injury. If you're not angulating, it's probably because your back is hurting or better. Mm. You are 50. The range of motion in certain joints might be affected. How? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's no point for me to insist on making you move in a range of motion or asking you to move in a range of motion that you don't have when I put you on my um, uh, therapy bed. Yes. You know, as an indicator. Therefore, I need to step back from the field um, work, take you in another environment, put you in another environment, maybe work with a physio, maybe work as a strength and conditioning coach and fix that. And then the results on skis will happen because we unlock what the limiting factor was. Mm. A lot of times we, we might fall into, and it's the same with guests, um, if, if a guest has a block somewhere, it might not be a technical block. It might be a physical one. Mm-hmm. Could be that the guest is not balanced enough, balanced enough on uh, the outside ski. So there's no point on trying to do a carving turn saying balance more on the outside ski. Maybe we need to take a step back and work just on balance mm. in another environment that doesn't involve carving at all. Mm. You know what I mean? It's the same stuff. It's just applied differently and maybe in this case maybe it's a higher level because the performance needs to be more accurate and therefore the level is higher yeah 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 i'm with you i'm with you no well that's um that's the yeah that's the kind of individual approach i think that that you know those that are thinking about the sport really uh really bring with them um it's 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 interesting for example to i mean i had a family group at the weekend that that you know there are certain you know you know about the, the physical we've talked about it on the podcast before i'm sure that the physical differences between the way that men and women are aligned and you know not not every ski instructor knows that and and certain you know there were certain people in this family group that <clears throat> i was skiing with at the weekend and they were trying to do certain things and said so, well that, that you know that particular thing just isn't an option for you right now you know it's not it's not an option to do with how you're built but not everybody has that knowledge and, and you know you go to certain certain places or certain ski instructors and stuff and not everyone has kind of taken that much of an interest in their sport um, and so they don't you know they don't have the ability to kind of communicate that information to their clients and um, that's why well I don't know I don't know where I'm going with this point but but you know I think if you're interested in, in, in what it is that you're doing, and you're prepared to go out and seek this information, then then it, it just makes you a better instructor or coach or whatever. But it's about it's about having that interest in what it is that you do for a living, you know, to to, to make yourself constantly better, um, so that you're better in front of clients, right? Yeah, is that a little bit of um, I I call it curiosity? Is that a little bit of interest in going? Oh, you know, I'm 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 actually into this, and therefore, uh, if you're open to uh, trying to analyze what's going on, then you're more likely to be able to find the right solution that fits your needs uh, in terms of jobs or, or performance that you want to achieve. Yeah. Uh, that was exactly why I ended up um, going to the posture educator course and, and profession because the more I trained athletes, the more the physio had to... Um, I saw the presence of the physio. Whatever you go in, in, in um, team coaching or professional athletes coaching, hmm. there's always a physio there. <clears throat> and it cannot be that this poor physio always has to fix 
the athlete that every few months or every few years breaks down. Mm. Must be, there must be a high ground that we can take in order to avoid injury or avoid physical limitations. Mm-hmm. And the sport industry has gone through this process, and which is why now, now I mean, in the last 10 years, we have a lot of interest in professional teams to employ a posture educator, or even a physio, or a physio with posture background. Mm. To um, Teams now are investing a lot of time and money to put all their uh, million dollar, million mm. euros athletes through a period of posture alignment. Because if we align you posture-wise, you're way less... Um, <clears throat> you're way less likely to get injured. Therefore, we're going to save money now. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to spend money now to save it later. Because an injury... <clears throat> sorry. An injury is always going to be more expensive than preventative... Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, ...work. <clears throat> yeah, I do the same. Actually, I, I, well, I'm supposed to do the same. It's been a bit difficult with uh, lockdown, but I see an amazing guy called Shane Proctor in... Um, uh, in Morzim, hi Shane, if you're listening, and he he kind of keeps all of my posture in line. Does amazing work, sort of from chiro- chiropractic kind of point of view, but he just keeps everything for me straight. And and I do, you know, the plan is now with him because he's fixed my back so many times for me, just like, you know, breaking down various. It's always at the start and the end of the ski season. We talked about it, I think, before. But the the now we're going to put in place like a program of you know, whether you need to be there or not, it's exactly what you were talking about. We're not here to fix problems anymore. We're here to kind of make sure that they don't happen. Yeah. You know, so that you spend less time in an injured state because it's just a waste of time and it's a, it's physically a very draining thing to be injured. And, yeah. um, and it's just not a place that you really want to be, you know. Yeah, yeah. physically, psychologically. Yeah. Yeah. Has, injuries always have an impact. Um, and is also on the psychological part. Is also part of our job to make sure that injuries can be dealt with in a positive way, because injuries sooner or later will occur, and we need to support that, yeah. as in the the, the um, recovery phase. Um, but again, yeah, it's um, it, the collaboration is also another key point. Um, my. Personally, I always wanted to. I've always been curious about uh, things and an interest in learning more. Therefore, I try to have to broaden my horizon at least by uh, broaden my horizon, learning from different aspects of different angles uh, of the of, of skiing as well as in general sport. Mm. But it's essential to be able to collaborate with people that we trust. So, just like. Um, coaching team is not composed just by technical coaches but also by strength and conditioning coaches mm. then you'll have the physios then you have your sport doctor then you have your dentist uh, because maybe you need uh, a teeth alignment in order to fix mm-hmm. a posture issue in order to increase the performance um, uh, oculist uh, the, you know the doctor of, for the eyes I don't know mm-hmm. you know orthopedist for, for the legs and feet and back if Ideally, which is what we try to uh, to do with uh, Sub Zero coaching, is is to work with a broad range of professionals that can help each individual out, depending on what issue 
uh, arises. And it's uh, it's a precious collaboration that you you can build through through your career. I'm very um, glad that I can count on on different people, <clears throat> mm. different professionals that I can send people to because um, it's difficult to fit everyone's need. It's pretty much impossible. Mm. So offsetting this uh, to to another professional that is an expert in their field in that field then. You know, the important thing, which is the thing that uh, told me of what uh, in sport, professional sport, is the result. Mm. The process is very important, but in the end, if the result doesn't come, we're a bit sure. Mm. We grow uh, during training is not just the technical skill that needs to happen, but also the personal growth of the of the person. But that needs to also be matched with with results um without results without victories you don't have a winning athlete you don't have a winning car a car that breaks down every few gps is mm. not a good car <laughs> yeah 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 um, which is another bit that i try to pass on and we need to pass on to the younger generation as well especially now <clears throat> that well not true we always had every 20 year old or teenager will be more likely to take risks. Mm-hmm. And it's fine and it's fair and is needed. Mm. We also need to teach um, athletes and instructors that we need to learn how to assess risks. Because yes, you might be cool dropping cliffs or mm. standing in and throwing backies, but if you break every second season or every season, yeah, you're not, you're not a winning car. Um, you know, uh, that, that, that's all it is. Yeah. Would you would you call a Ferrari or, or a McLaren that breaks down a winning car? No. <laughs> no, no, no. It doesn't matter if every few GPs it wins, but if at the end of the championships you are in the mid second part of the um, uh, manufacture, mm. um, you're not winning. You know, you're not, not going to win the overall at all. No. Um, no, no. Oh yeah, it's but again. The beauty of the sport, of working in sport, I think. Yeah. Since um, since we've mentioned it, Gib, why don't we? Um, I, I could talk to you forever, but I think uh, we've got to limit this for the purposes. Otherwise, people are you know they always complain yeah. to me that podcasts are too long anyway. But uh, we get where can people find you if they want to come and ski with you and be coached by you in Zermatt? Where can where can people get more info about you? Um, Website-wise is uh, subzerocoaching.com. Okay. Um, there you find all, uh, quite a bit of the details of what we do um, and, uh, and the kind of programs and courses, long-term courses that we have. Um, nowadays, in the last couple of years, I've put myself more available for instructors uh, also in the peak weeks because there was demand and because that's my, where, where my mm-hmm. interest sits as well. Um, so there is also the opportunity to do private coaching. Mm-hmm. Now I'm based in Zermatt throughout the year. Um, since COVID helped give me <laughs> the chance to make that decision as well. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah. And so in the summer, I actually have way more time to um, have to go through private coaching, whether it's skiing or strength and conditioning and so on um we've been working online as well with with good results quite frankly now people are more used to that so um with minimal 
fairly minimal. Uh, yeah. Human contact, face-to-face -face contact, we can, we've been able to find good solutions, especially for the strength and conditioning. Skiing still needs quite a bit of face-to-face um, -face or ski-to-ski -ski contact. Um, yeah. But the, for what is the strength and conditioning is actually very much doable uh, online or, you know, remotely rather. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Well, look, thank you for taking the time out of your day to have a chat with me. I really, um, I've been, we've been trying to set this, this, this interview up for a long time. We've both been busy and, and it hasn't worked out, but I'm, I'm really glad that we finally had a chance to have a chat. been my pleasure, Dave. Thank you very much for having me here and thank you for giving me the opportunity of being here. <laughs>